Well, we continue our series, uh, Keys to Spiritual Growth, and uh, today uh, we will look at repentance in relationship to uh, spiritual growth. Uh, I'm sure it'll probably take me uh, two weeks to work through this. Uh, and let me also remind you as we uh, begin uh, how we're approaching this series. Uh, this is sort of like a, uh, a coach giving the uh, game plan to the team. Uh, the game plan that's going to be the key uh, to uh, winning the game. And of course, we have to execute that game plan. And so you need to look at your sermon notes as worksheets. Uh, I'm putting in your hand some very uh, practical information that you need to leave here and to uh, put into uh, practice. So let me begin this message uh, by making a distinction uh, between God's judicial forgiveness and His parental forgiveness. I touched on this briefly in a previous message, but I think it's important uh, to emphasize it once again here. If you are a Christian, when you were converted, all of your sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven. You were given a complete judicial pardon in the court of heaven. As a result, God, who had been your judge, became your father. And as your father, he adopted you. He adopted you as his child, and absolutely nothing can dissolve that relationship on the basis of the finished work of Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But since we still fall into sin as children of God, we require God's forgiveness, not as a judge, but as a father. This parental forgiveness has nothing to do with your salvation, which is secure in Christ. It doesn't have anything to do with your relationship with God that can never be altered as a result of the forgiveness that He has extended you, but it has everything to do with experiencing joy, intimacy, and power with God. When you sin, you experience guilt. And unless you know how to get rid of the guilt, your Christian growth will be stunted. And the way to get rid of guilt is through repentance. So the first thing we need to do is to clearly uh, define repentance. And to do that, I want you to look with me there in your notes at three fundamental truths about biblical repentance. And here's the first one. Get it down in your notes. Repentance begins with a change of thinking. Biblical repentance begins with a change of thinking. The word repentance in our English Bibles is the translation of the Greek word metanoi, which literally means a change of mind. The word is used in the Bible to refer to a person's change of mind about what God identifies as sin. Now remember, in the very first message on keys to spiritual growth, we define spiritual growth as the lifelong process by which a Christian's character and conduct 
is changed to become like Jesus. Therefore, God wants us to become deeply sorrowful over any character, any conduct that is contrary to Christ. And for that sorrow to be accompanied with an intense desire to bring our character, to bring our conduct in harmony with the character and the conduct of Christ. And folks, that is simply repentance. Uh, Look at uh, that passage there in your notes, James 4, verses 8 through 10. It says, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. And how do we draw near to God? He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. He's talking about external conduct there. But not only cleanse your conduct, notice, purify what? Your hearts, getting to your character, the inner man, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. That verse is talking about true repentance. Looking at sin as God sees it, becoming sorrowful and broken over that sin, accompanied with an intense desire to humble yourself to be changed and exalted by God. Two other verses that are not in your sermon notes. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he's talking about mourning, grieving over our sinful condition over sinful character and conduct, and a mourning that leads us to the comfort and the grace and the empowerment of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 reads, You were made sorrowful to the point of death. I mean, I'm sorry, to the point of repentance. You were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. See, these verses are referring to a person who has had such a change of thinking about his sinful character and conduct that he becomes repulsed by the sin he once indulged in. He is not grieving the fact that he got caught. He's not merely upset over the consequences of sin. He's mourning the fact that he could actually think or do something like that, and he desires to change. Uh, The Apostle Paul captured this sentiment perfectly when he cried out in Romans 7, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? So repentance begins with a change of thinking about sin. A thinking that creates a sorrow about any character conduct contrary to the character and conduct of Christ and a sorrow that's accompanied with an intense desire to change. But it doesn't stop there. Look at the second point. Repentance is accompanied by a turning. Not just a change of thinking, but a turning. Uh, Look at Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. We're back there to the thinking. And let him return to the Lord, and he, the Lord, will have compassion on him. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Repent of your sins and turn to God. 
so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, when Paul was remembering back uh, when the Thessalonians came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, he says, you turn to God from idols to serve a true and living God. So notice from these verses that repentance is characterized first by a turning away from sin. The Isaiah passage says, let the wicked, what, forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. But then second, a turning to God. The Acts passage, repent of your sins and turn to God. And then third, you make this about face with the goal to serve God. In the First Thessalonians 1 passage, you turn to God from idols to serve a true and living God. So repentance is much more than being sorry over sin. It is a change in direction, a purposeful decision to turn from sin and to live for God. And it's also crucial, very crucial, to realize that repentance is not a one-time act that's done at conversion. Repentance is one of the conditions for conversion, repentance and faith, but it doesn't end there. Repentance is to be the lifelong attitude and practice of a believer. Every day the Christian is to live out his repentance by what? Turning from sin to follow Jesus. Let me explain it this way. On the day that Kathy and I were married, uh, I made a vow. I made a commitment to forsake all other women and remain faithful to Kathy alone. Now, since that day, I have spent every day of our marriage living out that commitment by turning away from the attraction of all other women to love Kathy. And in the same way, the repentance that is necessary at conversion is the repentance that should characterize the Christian's walk each and every day. So repentance begins with a change of thinking, and then real repentance is accompanied by a turning, and then notice the third truth, repentance results in transformation, in transformation. Matthew 3, 8, we read, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. The proof of authentic repentance is transformation, a changed life. Uh, the great preacher, uh, Charles Spurgeon, put it very succinctly when he said, if a man does not live differently from what he did before, his repentance needs to be repented of. And that's very, very true. You know, one of the great tragedies in the American church is the uh, widespread belief that literally has infected uh, the Christian culture uh, that a lost person can be saved or a saved person can be revived uh, without a repentance that brings transformation. That somehow you can add Christ without subtracting sin. That somehow you can follow Christ without forsaking sin. Uh, 
George Barna, the researcher, summarized this problem uh, this way in relationship uh, very specifically to the baby boomer generation, which uh, many of us would be a part of. And uh, it wouldn't apply just to baby boomers, but you'll, you'll catch his drift. He says, at heart, boomers were consumers. The way we presented Christ to most boomers struck a resonant chord with them from that mindset. We told them all that they had to do uh, was pray a prayer, admitting that they had made some mistakes, that they were sorry, and that they wanted to be forgiven. Boomers weighed the downside, which really amounted to nothing more than a one-time admission of imperfection and weakness in return for permanent peace with God and figured it's a no-brainer, a can't-lose transaction. The consequences has been millions of people who have said the prayer, asked for forgiveness, and went on with their life with virtually nothing changed. See, it's a salvation without repentance and even this emphasis in the Christian life that you can know revival without repentance. So look at the next statement in your notes, which is our definition for authentic repentance. And I think it really captures the heart of what repentance is from a very practical perspective. Authentic repentance, as we've already seen, begins with a change of mind about sin, which leads to a change in direction towards God, which leads to a change of behavior in life. That is repentance. That's biblical repentance. Authentic repentance begins with a change of mind about sin, which leads to a change in direction towards God, which leads to a change of behavior in my life. Now, what I want us to do um, with the rest of our time today, and this will spill over into next week, is to look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verses 10 through 11, which I believe is the greatest passage in the Bible that describes authentic repentance. Uh, look at it with me. Look at the verses with me. He says, and, and he's writing to the... Uh, just to give you the context, and I don't have time to go into a lot of detail, but you remember in Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, I mean, he had to blast them on a number of issues where they were living totally contrary uh, to the character and conduct of Christ. I mean, there was disunity in the church family. They were murmuring. They were grumbling. There was immorality in the church family. I mean, there was, they were, the church was just, just a mess. And Paul just confronts them. And he says, this is totally inconsistent with what God has called you to be, what God has called you to do. And he basically just calls them on the carpet. And as a result of that first letter, they are broken. They repent. And so then Paul says, and it's in that context, he says, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, 
the earnestness, this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything, you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. Now, as mentioned earlier, the American church suffers from a very, uh, we could say, shallow and uh, superficial uh, perspective on repentance. Uh, A.W. Tozer, great, great man of God, uh, and I've loved to, I've loved over the years uh, reading many of his sermons, gave uh, this great advice to believers that we need to heed. He said, do a thorough job of repenting. Do not hurry to get it over with. Hasty repentance means shallow spiritual experience and lack of certainty in the whole of life. Let godly sorrow do her healing work. Until we allow the consciousness of sin to wound us, we will never develop a fear of evil. It is our wretched habit of tolerating sin that keeps us in our half-dead condition. Now, one of the most important things you need to see in this message is that as believers, when we stumble, when we fall into sin, and when we're struggling with guilt and we need to repent in turning back to God and to know Him transforming our lives, that repentance does not involve just a single act of confession. That's how, that's how most believers view repentance. It's just me acknowledging confessing my sin to God. It is that, but it's much, much more. And going back to the 2 Corinthians passage, we're going to discover nine words, nine words or phrases in that passage which describes the process, and it is a process that you need to go through to experience the depths of authentic repentance. In other words, there are levels of repentance. And, and what I'm about to share with you from, from this point in the message, as we look at these nine words, as we look at this process that's involved in authentic, it's been probably one of the most practical tools, tools I've ever used in my personal life. And where it's literally what I do, if, if, if I have fallen into sin as a believer, if I've uh, strayed uh, in my walk with God, uh, as I'm getting things right with God, I just take this and I use it as a tool to evaluate my life. I just walk through this process. Uh, I don't even know any any of my kids in here. They may not be. Uh, I use this to evaluate my children as they were growing up, uh, to see where they were in true repentance, in brokenness when they were. Uh, confronted with wrong. This has been a wonderful tool in my counseling ministry. As people come in and they're dealing with various sin issues and uh, strongholds, many times addictions, uh, I'll actually take them through this process uh, to help them understand what's involved in true repentance. Because again, most believers have such a shallow, superficial view of repentance, and they don't realize, no, it's not just a single act of confession. It involves a process. And process demands time. 
and uh, and through that time we see change. So let's let's just begin. We may have have the opportunity to do one or two of these, and then we'll pick up next week. Now this is where it begins. This is where it only begins, not ends, but it begins. The first first step in the process is is he uses the term in the in the passage godly sorrow. And that is being sorry for the sin, not merely its consequences. That's the first step in authentic repentance. Where I'm sorry, not merely for the consequences, not just that I got caught, but for the sin itself. How could I think that way? How could I do something like that? How could I live like that? A a disgust uh, related to to self. Look at uh, Psalm 38, verse 18. I confess my sins... I am deeply sorry for what I've done. I'm deeply sorry for what I've done. Uh, John Inger, uh, a man that's been very involved uh, in the pro-life movement, in pregnancy center work. He actually uh, directed a couple of pregnancy centers in the state of Arizona. He he wrote a wonderful book uh, entitled Experiencing God's Forgiveness. And uh, this is a quote from that book. Medicine to produce health has to examine disease. And music, to create harmony, must investigate discord. So the first step from guilt for a believer to gladness is painful. God, the surgeon of our souls, makes a deep cut into our natural pride with a sharp truth. That truth is this. We feel guilty because we are guilty. We feel guilty because we are guilty. In other words, folks, the first step in biblical repentance is to own up to your sin. You can never remove guilt. Listen to me now. You can never remove guilt by trying to justify your sin, by trying to excuse your sin. By trying to minimize your sin. By comparing yourselves with others. Well, at least I'm better than they are. I haven't gone that that low. Uh, You don't remove guilt by blaming circumstances for what you did. For blaming your marriage partner for what you did. Or other people for what you did. Uh, You don't get rid of guilt by... Making bargains with God. You know, God, if you forgive me this one time, I'll never do it again. You know, God, I'll, I'll read my Bible. I'll, go, I'll even tithe if you'll, if you'll just forgive me. No, that's not the way you get rid of guilt. The first step in repentance is simply being sorry for your sin, not merely its consequences. Now, notice for each of these points, and this is what has been invaluable to me in my personal life. For each of these points, I give you a test question to probe your life, to to evaluate your life. And here it is right here. Do I mourn my sin or merely the fact I got caught? So once I've fallen into sin or I've drifted from God and I'm getting back on this process of repentance, that'll be the first question I ask. Okay, am I really mourning my sin or just the fact that I got caught or that it's, it's, it's cost me something? There's been consequences Uh, Or am I really disgusted with the fact that I could think that way, I could live that way, I could act that way? Look at the second, look at the second step. It's captured by the word, he uses the word earnestness uh, to 
express their repentance. And I would define earnestness this way, being more concerned with being right with God than protecting my image before others. In other words, we're talking about getting at our stinking pride that uh, uh, often motivates us to wear a mask and never to get real about our struggles. Look at Psalm 32, verse 5. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Now, do you know who wrote those words? King David. Do you know when he wrote those words? He wrote that psalm in relationship to his sin with Bathsheba. A man that loved God, that walked with God, but fell into sin. And he not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, you know the story. He murdered Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to cover up his sin. I mean, he sunk so low. You remember, he had this one-night stand with Bathsheba. Suddenly, she's knocking on his door. I'm pregnant. So instead of owning up to his sin, he developed this plan. Uriah's on the battlefield. One of his great men of valor. One of his most decorated commanders. And he brings him off the battlefield. Why? So he could be with his wife, have relations with his wife, and everyone would think, this is Uriah's baby. But you remember what happened? Uriah comes back, and he refuses to go into his wife. He says, if my men are sacrificing out on the battlefield, you know, I'm not going to enjoy this pleasure. And so then, you remember what David did? He sent him back into the battle and him carrying a document that brought his death. That they were commanded that when they went into battle, they were all, when they hit the front lines, they were to retreat from Uriah. And he was killed. David killed Uriah. He murdered Uriah trying to cover up his sin so then he could take Bathsheba as his wife, and cover it all up. So no one would know. And he would maintain his wonderful reputation of this great man of God and leader of the people. And of course, you know how Nathan the prophet approached him and basically said, David, you're the man. And David was cut to the quick. And he was brought to authentic repentance where he went through this process that we're Because, folks, when there's true repentance, there's brokenness. And wherever there's true brokenness, there's openness. In true repentance, there's not this issue of trying to hide your sin. You're willing to be open before God and before others. You know, I find this, the Bible does say that David, and, and after this affair, was a man after God's heart. Think about that. 
And, and the thing that I don't think we emphasize enough is David actually proved that, not in his greatest victory, but in his greatest failure. He proved the authenticity of his heart's love for God when he openly admitted his sin and turned back to the Lord. So here's the test question here for us as we walk through this process of repentance. Which is more important, being right with God or looking good to others? Being right with God or looking to good to others? That's probably a good spot to stop right there. And notice, we still have seven more words, each one that will take us deeper and deeper and deeper into what true biblical repentance is. So I hope the one thing that you'll take from this morning, the one thing that you'll take, is that repentance is more than just a simple admission or confession of your sin. It is that. We'll clearly see that. But it's much more than that. And it begins with this being sorry for your sin, not merely its consequences, and then becoming more concerned with being right with God than what other people think. And protecting your image, where you're willing to take off the mask and show yourself all the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, knowing that God's grace will be there for you. Father, uh, we've just begun uh, what I trust will be a very, very practical teaching and uh, lesson on uh, authentic repentance. Uh, Lord, we acknowledge in our human frailty that is, your children, uh, we do fall into sin. We do become distracted and drift from you. And as a result of our failures in character and conduct, in our thought life, attitudes, um, we experience guilt. But thank you that through repentance, as we see even in David's life, we can rid ourselves of that guilt to know your forgiveness, uh, to know a clear conscience before you. So, Father, I pray that as we continue to go through uh, this teaching, uh, that you will speak uh, to our hearts. And I specifically pray, um, Lord, you have used this in an incredible way in my own life. I cannot think of a more practical tool that's been beneficial to me. And so I just simply pray that... uh, Those in this church family will come to see the value of this tool as much as I have and that they would begin to uh, practice it and practice it to the point where it eventually would become second nature and uh, that they would just uh, uh, turn to this as they look to uh, turn from their sin uh, to return to you and to uh, follow you. Uh, For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Uh, Amen. As we have a time of invitation. Uh, you know, this message has, of course, been to believers primarily, and we're, we've just sort of laid the foundation. What I would encourage you to do in this time of invitation, just in the privacy of your own heart, is to say, God, is, you know, as we go through this study, number one, you need to be back next week to, to, to hear the second part for us to complete this. But just say, say God, speak to me, teach me. Uh, work this truth into the fabric of my life. Because again, growth comes by making those steps of trust and obedience. It's by not only 
receiving God's Word, but as we saw in an earlier message, what? Responding to the truth. Putting it into practice. That's, that's how you grow. You know, I, I use the analogy about being a coach, and I'm giving you the game plan. Well, I mean, I coached for many, many years, and how does a team learn to execute the game plan? How do these soldiers learn how to execute the mission they're called? Through training, through practice, doing it over and over and over and over again. And there is that aspect of the Christian life of just discipline. Discipline. As you look to God to give you the grace to put these things into practice, to provide the motivation, the energy, and the empowerment. So just surrender that to God. Uh, possibly you're here, and possibly God touched your heart. You know, we were talking about the boomer generation, how they were basically given a gospel that removed the element of repentance. Repentance sort of the missing word in many gospel presentations. That, uh, you know, you just had to... Uh, Admit you're wrong, ask God's forgiveness, and, but there was no thought of transformation or change or turning from sin to follow God. And uh, you need to know authentic salvation uh, because, again, the two primary conditions is repentance and what? Faith. And that repentance is turning from your sin to follow Christ in a new life, to honor Him, and then, as you, and then through trust and obedience, uh, that He will be that power at work in you, enabling you uh, to do that. So I'll be here to greet anyone that has a decision of any nature, if you'd like to unite with our church family. So you stand and just respond in your heart to the truth that we shared.